At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning we are going to be continuing a sermon series that we began a few weeks ago called God With Us. This series, we've been exploring how when Jesus came to the earth, it was God with us. Jesus being God himself came to be with us. And we've been looking at that throughout uh, John's gospel primarily over the last few Sundays. We've seen John beginning his gospel saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We, we, we've seen these verses and been reminded that Jesus is God himself. Today, we're going to continue this series by looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 45. But before we do that, I want to just ask you all a question. And that question is this. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus is God? And then I want to ask you a second question. Why do you believe that Jesus is God? Very important question to ask. Not just do we believe it, but why do we believe it? You see, friends, God has not just asked us to take a blind leap of faith. Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, I'm God, and then disappear. But Jesus actually came and lived out a human life to demonstrate for us proof that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And God inspired the writers of the New Testament, specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they wrote the gospel accounts, to detail for us what they saw and what they heard and what they touched and what they experienced with Jesus, so that as you and I gather today, we might have reasons to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. This morning, we are going to be looking at Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, we see him begin telling about Jesus Christ in a way that that enumerates a number of different reasons for why he, in fact, is the Son of God. This morning, we're going to look at Mark 1, and we're going to do so in two movements. The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to examine the evidence. I want us to examine the evidence. Now, Mark begins his gospel in a different spot than Matthew and Luke do. You know, Matthew and Luke begin with the account of Jesus' birth, but not Mark. Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does not begin with Jesus' birth. He actually begins with Jesus' public ministry. Now, why did he do that? Well, he did that because, again, by God's design, Mark was to highlight the who of Jesus' life, not the how that he was born. It's important for us to think about how he was born. If you come Next Saturday night, we're going to read Luke's gospel where it details the birth of Jesus. But when Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote his gospel account, he is concerned about the who of Jesus' birth, and he wants to identify Jesus as the Son of God. Now, we see this in the very first verse of Mark's gospel. He says that he is beginning the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, a name that means God saves. Christ, a title, meaning he was the promised one who would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Son of God, that he would be God himself. Mark tells us at the very beginning who he believes Jesus to be. And then in the rest of chapter one, he provides the evidence. Now, we live in 2022. We're used to a form of security on the internet called two-step authentication. Now, what that is, is if I go to log into a website, it will send me either a text message or an email for me to authenticate that I am in fact the one who is logging in. It's a two-step authentication, and I guess it's fairly secure. But when we look at Mark chapter 1, what we see is not a two-step authentication of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. What we see is a 12-step authentication, at least 12 steps, at least 12 different pieces of evidence that argue for the divinity of Jesus Christ. So what are those pieces of evidence? What are those 12 steps that Mark highlights? Really, a greatest hits almost of Jesus' life and ministry that Mark shares in chapter 1. What are they? Well, one of the things is that Jesus was the subject of prophecy. Mark begins his gospel in chapter, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then he quotes a prophecy about Jesus' birth. For 700 Old Testament prophecies and allusions to Jesus' birth are found in the Old Testament. What would we expect if God really did come to be with us? We would expect God to have been preparing a people for his arrival. And God prepared them through the Old Testament prophetic accounts. So when Jesus shows up, he is authenticated as the Christ, the Son of God, by the fulfillment of prophecy, including the prophecy that Isaiah shares. And that prophecy that Isaiah shares talks about how there would be a forerunner that was going to go before Jesus, the king, as he arrives. Mark chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared. See, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, was that forerunner that ran before Christ and prepared his way. Friends, when a king would go to a town, somebody would go before him and make sure that the path was straight. We might think of that in our day like the Secret Service going in and making sure the building is secure before the president arrives or driving ahead into the city and clearing the paths and putting police cars at the intersection so that the famous person can make it into the city. If Jesus really is the Son of God, we should expect someone to go before him and to prepare the way. And what we find is that John the Baptist was that one who went before. But what's interesting is John didn't go and clear the path of, of things. John went and prepared the path of our hearts. He called people to repentance, and that way he prepared the hearts of people for the arrival of Jesus. But we would expect if God were to arrive, not only to be the subject of Old Testament prophecy, but also that there would be a forerunner who would precede him. That's, in fact, what Mark reminds us of. Also, we would expect if God arrived that contemporaries would notice it, that contemporaries would notice it. This is really important. Jesus wasn't just someone who came and lived a life, and generations later, people adopted him as their hero. No, Jesus was one that when he came, when he lived out his life, his contemporaries saw that he was different and began to even worship him. Mark chapter 1, verse 28 is a representation of this. It says, and at once his fame, Jesus' fame, spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
people crowded to be around him because they recognized that he was different and he was distinct. His contemporaries noticed. Also, the Father in the Spirit validated and authenticated Jesus as the Son of God. Now, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our God is a Trinitarian God, one God existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so if God the Son shows up in Jesus, we would expect in this unity in the Trinitarian God that God the Father and God the Spirit would also be authenticating Jesus at his arrival. And Mark reminds us that that's exactly what happened at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and immediately... He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven from God the Father saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What is this? This is another authentication of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Jesus was tempted and yet did not sin. If God were to show up, we would expect that he would not sin, right? Because God is holy. God does not sin. And if Jesus had sinned, it would have been a tell that he was not in fact God himself. But when Jesus shows up, he is tempted and yet did not sin. And Mark highlights in his opening verses that Jesus went into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan himself for 40 days and yet did not sin. Again, it's an authentication of the divinity of Jesus. Also, when Jesus arrives, he declares that a new age has dawned. Jesus goes from town to town, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, and he's preaching this message that says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, just last week, we talked about how God in Christ established a a new operating system, a, a new covenant to relate to humanity. Who could establish a new covenant relationship between God and man except God himself. It's above our pay grade to change the terms of the arrangement. But God in his grace can change them and improve them and provide the blessing of Christ to us. When Jesus came, he announced this change as he went from village to village. Not only that, but people began to follow him. People followed him. I, I love what it says in Mark 1:17 when Jesus goes and, and sees James and John and, and Peter and Andrew fishing by the waters of the Sea of Galilee. And he says to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. If God really came to the earth, wouldn't we expect people to see him, be impressed by him, notice that he is different, notice the authority that he has and reorient their lives to follow him? Friends, that's in fact what happened. It happened with these disciples. We see Mark record that for us in this greatest hits album of Mark 1. And not only that, but Jesus taught with authority. People had heard sermons before. They'd never heard anyone preach like Jesus was preaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Friends, if, if Jesus were to take the stage today and to preach, it would be way better than what you're getting from me. That's what they're saying. There, there's an acknowledgement of that. They, they understand that. The contemporaries of Jesus saw the authority that he had. 
in the way that he preached. We see that. It's an authentication of his identity. Not only that, but Jesus had power over the darkness. By that, I don't mean that he invented electricity. What I mean is that Jesus had the power over spiritual darkness, over demons. One of the things Jesus did was he would cast out demons. They were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus demonstrated who he was by his power over darkness. And he demonstrated it so much that they saw that there was really no fight here. The gap between who Jesus was and whatever other spiritual forces were in the world was so great. It would be like if OU showed up in their bowl game and on the other side of the field was Norman High's ninth grade JV team. The gap between the Norman High ninth grade JV team and OU's college team is actually smaller than the gap between the authority of Jesus in the presence of darkness. Jesus is great, and they noticed it. They saw it. It was an authentication of his identity. Not only that, but he healed the sick. There was also a big gap like this in, as it related to illness. They, he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Why did people bring the sick to Jesus? Why do we bring those who are hurting and suffering before him in prayer? Because we recognize who he is. He is God himself. Not only that, but Jesus had an exemplary spiritual life. He had an exemplary spiritual life. Now, I say that, you might think, well, that's kind of an odd way to say that. But wouldn't you think if, if God came in, in, in human form to the earth, that people would look at God and say, you know, there's deep waters running in him. He's not surfacy. That's exactly what happened as the disciples witnessed Jesus rising early in the morning while it was still dark and departing and going out to desolate places and praying. The identity of Jesus, an authentication of his identity as God himself. And friends, he reached out to the hopeless, the hopeless Galileans, the hopeless Gentiles, and the hopeless lepers. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Lepers came to him and were healed. Friends, in all of this inside of chapter one of Mark's gospel, he wants us to know the who. He wants us to know the who so that we might understand that our faith in Christ is not just a blind leap, but it's based on who Jesus has revealed himself to be. You know, this morning I, I, I got up and I was coming into uh, the office and I, I did not have a backup plan for how I was going to get here. My plan was to go out and, and take my key and, and put it in the ignition and turn it back out of the driveway and drive here. I had no backup plan. Now, was that foolish on my part? Well, no. Why? Because I've done that very same thing thousands of times. Thousands of times I've done that, just in 2022. And so because of that, it is no blind leap of faith to not have a backup plan for how I'm going to get here this morning. And Mark writes his gospel, and God provides it for us as if to tell us that believing and trusting in Jesus as your God and Savior is no blind leap. You can put your key in him and your trust in him and count on it turning over and providing for you life. Why? 
because he has demonstrated in history who he really is. So this morning, I want us to examine the evidence. But I don't want us just to look at it and intellectually deal with it, but I want us to think about our response to it. And I want our responses to this evidence to be Christmas appropriate. I want it to be Christmas appropriate. Now, what do I mean when I say Christmas appropriate? What I mean is for our responses to the evidence of Jesus being God to be modeled after the responses of the key figures in the historical Christmas account as found in Scripture. So what do we learn from their responses that might encourage us to respond Christmas appropriate to Christ today? Well, a few different responses. Let's take Mary, for example. Mary found out that she was going to be delivering the Son of God into the world. And though she was a virgin, she was conceiving and having this child. Now, when when she hears this news, her first thought is, how can this possibly be? How can this possibly be? Because biologically, I can't do this yet. So how is it that I am going to conceive and have this child? And the angel responds and says, oh, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And what is impossible for you is absolutely possible with God. And so Mary responds and says to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In that moment, Mary is modeling for us a a Christmas-appropriate response that says to God, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust that you can do what, what we cannot. Now, that's true for us in so many ways. You, know, you might be here today and you might think, God can't really forgive me. He can't really forgive me because I have done this thing or I have this pattern in my past. And because of that, I am somehow unforgivable before God. To you today, I think this passage would say, what is impossible for you to imagine is possible for God in that God went to the cross for you take the penalty for your sins so that you might be forgiven of whatever you have done. And for others who are here, you might be thinking, well, I I understand about forgiveness, but I don't think it's possible for me to walk out of this addiction, to change this habit, to change this pattern of destructive behavior. You might be thinking it's impossible to do that. But to you today, this passage, I think, would encourage you in a similar way. What is impossible for you is possible for God who loved you and forgave you, but also equipped you with the Holy Spirit and gave you direction from his word so that you might be empowered to walk in the directions that he has called. Like Mary, may we respond to Jesus as God in a Christmas-appropriate way and trust that he can do what we cannot. But also, let's think about Joseph. Let's think about Joseph. What's a Christmas-appropriate response like Joseph? Well, it is that we would stay with him regardless of the cost. Remember, Joseph gets word that Mary, his betrothed, is pregnant. And that had to be news that would be crushing to him because he's thinking, she's pregnant and I know it's not by me. And so he's thinking what he's going to do. 
in his, his thought, in his, his plan is shared in Matthew 1.19. It says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That was his plan. His plan was to step away from Mary because of this. And being a, a devout man, it says that he didn't want to, to make it worse for her than it had to be, but he knew that he needed to separate from her. At least that was his plan. And no doubt, if he would have done that, he would have been even a sympathetic figure among his friends. But that's not what Joseph did, is it? Joseph stayed. And because Joseph stayed, there are many people in this room named Joe. Joseph stayed. And he stayed even bearing the cost of the side-eye looks at Thanksgiving. And even bearing the, 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 the public embarrassment of having a wife who is pregnant with not your child. And he did so on the basis of the revelation that this child was what the Lord was doing. But I, I just think it's amazing to see that he stayed there. Because here's the thing, if Joseph would have walked away from Mary, he would not just have walked away from Mary. If Joseph had walked away from Mary, who else would he have walked away from? Who else? Seriously. Jesus. Where was Jesus? Not just somewhere in the universe. Where was Jesus in that moment? He was in the womb of Mary. And so for Joseph to leave Mary would have been for Joseph to leave Jesus. And he stayed with Jesus regardless the cost. And friends, that is an amazing example for us. Because as we sit here today, it also can be costly to follow Christ today. There are a number of issues where Jesus provides direction that our world has rejected. And standing with Jesus on those issues might bring about a cost with our friends, family, or neighbors. But if we walk away from Jesus on those issues and in those moments, we also would not just be walking away from an issue, we'd be walking away from Jesus himself. May we, like Joseph, stay with him regardless the cost. How about the shepherds? The shepherds are people that an announcement came. The angels appeared in the sky and they said, Jesus has been born. We, we opened our service by reading those verses today. And upon getting that news, what did the shepherds do? Well, they went to see Jesus. It says in Luke 2, 16 and 20, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is what the shepherds did, but they didn't have to do that. They could have just said, well, that was really cool. Those angels came, you see them? That was really cool. And they told us this great news, that's awesome. And they could have rolled over and gone back to bed. But instead, upon hearing this declaration, they got up and they went to see for themselves what the Lord had done. And then they returned telling all that they saw of what they had seen. Friends, this is a great picture for us. This Christmas season, we're, we're going around and there's songs that are being played on the radio. There's songs that we're singing. There's services that we are attending. Friends, we're hearing declarations again and again and again about who Jesus is and what he has done. May we not just be people who hear those things and then go, oh, that's nice, and move on with our January. 
May we be people who hear this truth and come to Jesus to learn from him and to follow him and to tell others about him in the year ahead. But also like the Magi, a Christmas-appropriate response like the Magi. The Magi are people who saw Jesus' star, though they lived in a, a faraway country, and they, they came to worship Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, Where is he, they said, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The Magi did not have on their, their, their to-do list planner to travel many months to Bethlehem to go see Jesus. That was, not their, that was not on their plan. And yet, that is what they did. They changed their plan in light of who Jesus is. And they came and they followed him. And so, for us today, as we, as we gather here at this Christmas season, and we hear this great news about who Jesus is, we might have had different plans for our 2023. But may we also change our plans, change our perspective, Repent of those things that were not in line with God's direction for us. Place our faith in Christ and come and follow him. May our response be like that of Mary and of Joseph, of the shepherds and of the Magi. Christmas-appropriate responses, don't you think? In light of the evidence, it is no blind leap of faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for just this opportunity to gather and to worship today. Thank you for the truth of the birth of Jesus and, and the, the validation of who you are through his earthly life and ministry. We are so thankful for that gift. And Lord, we pray today uh, that you would just give us the faith to respond in ways that were modeled for us by those who have gone before us, by Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the magi. May we follow you in response to who you are. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen.